My name is John Chafee. I was trained as a pastor and this is one of the ways in which I try to do something good with that education. This is Begin Again. So if you are looking for a nuanced or interesting take on the Jesus tradition and all of its wisdom and all of its perplexity and mystery, then you found the right place. I sincerely hope that this helps you to rethink some things, to maybe grow in your own way for health and holiness, for your benefit and for the benefit of those around you. So again, welcome to Begin Again. So today we have uh, an author of six books, seven books. How many now? Well, the Jesus Sun series is a seven-part series, but so Solo Mysterium would be the eighth book okay. that I published. Um, but we have Keith, Keith Giles. Is that correct? I would yes, be, Keith Giles. I would be happy to. Um, tell your bio for you but how about in your own words for people that don't know you or your work how would you define yourself <clears throat> yeah well sometimes I, I i tongue-in-cheek sort of describe what i do in my writing my books uh is introducing christians to jesus which is hard to do because most of them are convinced they already they already know jesus <laughs> um but uh yeah i mean i'm a i'm a i was licensed and ordained as god 35 or so years ago, uh, originally as a Southern Baptist minister, served off nine of different churches through the years. My wife and I moved to Southern California, um, lived there about 25 years. During that time, we had two boys who are now grown and also both just graduated college. And, uh, and we also, during that time, planted a vineyard church with some friends of ours and did that for about three and a half years. And then we left and started a, um, essentially it was a house church that uh, where nobody was the pastor, we had no statement of faith, we had no building, and no bank account, no 501c3. Um, all the offering we received went to help the poor in the community. We started something called a motel church for people, uh, basically people that are homeless, living in poverty in a motel there in Santa Ana. Uh, mm. Also did some work, a homeless community, uh, called we called it Tent City, that was right outside of Time Stadium for mm -hmm. uh, about a year or so. And uh, loved it. Just loved that whole experience. And um, about, gosh, close to two and a half years ago, moved back to El Paso, Texas, where my wife and I originally met. And that's where we are now. And uh, of course, during that time, I wrote and published uh, a seven-part series of books called the Jesus Un series, helping people process different aspects of the sort of like toxic theology, the typical questions most people um, ask when they go through, go through this sort of deconstruction process. So there's a book for each of those things, like how do we approach the Bible? How do we understand the end times? How do we understand the atonement and the cross? Um, you know, and all those kind of topics, so the second coming and all that stuff. And then, um, and then just about a, exactly a month ago, I believe as of this recording, it was exactly a month ago. Uh, I published, uh, the first book, outside of that series, a brand new book called Solo Mysterium, embracing, sorry, celebrating 
<laughs> the beautiful uncertainty of everything. I gotta remember the, the subtitle. Um, and uh, and yeah, so that's that's been extremely well received. I'm really excited about that book, and uh, excited to talk oh. to you and, and well, thank you and your listeners. And I uh, I saw you recently had um, an endorsement by Thomas J. Ord, who I met actually a few years ago when he was coming through at Princeton. And so I had the chance oh, wow. to talk with him about relational theology. Um, and so yeah. your book has even got some really good endorsements from some pretty wonderful people, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was pretty surprised. And I, I got a wider range of endorsements for this book than probably previous ones. Like Tom is a great guy. I met him. I, I lived for a year in Boise, Idaho, which is where he lives. And we got, I got to meet him. We had lunch together several times. I was at his the release uh, of God can't and some other mm. things. So uh great guy He's been a good friend. Um, but yeah, th this book here has, um, I got endorsements from musicians um, like Kevin Max from DC talk endorsed it. Um, Derek Ebb and uh, yeah. some other people, some authors and, um, but even some non-Christians, which is funny. I, I sent it out to some people that aren't even Christians and they, they were like, wow, this is really awesome. I really appreciate what you're saying in this book. So, you know, I got a, a broader spectrum. And I think this book, this is also the first book I've ever published that has, like, it, it was number one on Amazon mm -hmm. uh, in a non-Christian category. Mm -hmm. So all my other books, of course, have been, you know, in the in the Christian categories. But this is the first one, this Solo Mysterium one, is the first one that was number one for several weeks, um, just in the mysticism category. Not Christian yeah. mysticism just mysticism. And I was mm. really blown away by that. So that's, <laughs> that's pretty cool. That's very cool. I mean, your book does go a bit obviously into mysticism, but also quantum physics and other things. So I mean, we'll, oh, yeah. we'll, we'll get to that. That's really wonderful. Um, so when I was reading through Solar Mysterium, I found myself like wanting to underline most paragraphs, but nodding along. But you know what? I actually felt as though this book and as well as some of your other ones, I felt as though, how do I want to say this? It was almost like being let in on a secret that never should have been a secret. You know, yeah. it's like, why, why isn't this talked about more often? And um, I finished seminary back in 2011. I got my MDiv. But even since then, I've just encountered so many people and writings i'm like i didn't i should have learned this in seminary um yeah but it sounds like you found a niche talking about those things that should have been talked about in seminary <laughs> yeah well uh, you're right um and it's funny because this book solo mysterium you know it, it's just a natural part of my own spiritual progression you know what i mean it's I, it, it's not like I'm sitting around going, Hey, what could I write about that would be, you know, that would sell really well or something like that. It's, this is literally just, you know, I personally walk through my own deconstruction. That's why I wrote each of those seven you know, books in the GM series, because these are questions I had. These are things I was curious about. And then the more I studied and learned, I was going to like, well, Hey, I mean, I want to help other people that are also confused about these, these topics. Mm. But then after I did that, I mean, and, and through the process of doing that, um, I, I sort of had these epiphanies that led to Solo Mysterium, which is, I think, what you're referring to, this realization that, 
you know, anytime anyone is talking about theology, they really shouldn't be doing it from a perspective of certainty. Yeah. <laughs> because, um, right. I mean, that's, that was the, my sort of one of my big takeaways from writing the Jesus Sun series was, you know, there's a lot of, it's good to have information. It's good to study in church history and theology and uh, all that. It's super helpful. It was really helpful for me uh, in my process. And, the, and the, those books, you know, uh, a lot of people have said they've helped, it's helped them as well. Um, but then having gone through it, I mean, one of the big things that I, I realized, and I've tried to help other people also kind of go through this as well and kind of um, maybe learn, that, you know, get the benefits that the mistakes I've made and the things I've learned is that, you know, I always tell people as you deconstruct your theology, and that's a good thing. You need to rethink. There's you know, a lot of lot of bad theology and things like that. But in all of your deconstructing of your theology, I really, really think it's a wise thing to consider deconstructing your need to be right, because of the fact that so often we're wrong. You know, I mean, <laughs> uh, I mean, if I learned anything through my deconstruction process was that, oh, I, you know, I was I used to be so certain, especially when I was a pastor. I was so certain about all these things oh. and I had no tolerance for anybody who disagreed with me on, on, you know, whatever I believe until I found out that, Oh, I'm wrong about that. <laughs> That's not exactly right. You know? And so um, there's sort of two ways you can respond when you realize that you were wrong about something in your theology, you can say, uh, and I have this quote in the book from my friend, Josh Lawson, you know, you can say, hey, you know, no matter how many times my my theology changes, I'm always right because uh, I was right. And then I found out, I, oh, I learned something new. Oh, now I'm right. And then I debate that and argue that and, you know, convince people of that. Of that. And then a few years later, I go, oops. Oh, no, I, I was uh, I learned something new. And oh, right. I changed my mind. And now I'm, now I'm still right. Um, but I'm not. <laughs> the, the reality is I was wrong in the beginning. And then I was wrong about some other things. And that means I'm more than likely going to be wrong again in the future. Right. And so that means we need to learn how to hold loosely. This is what I'm trying to say. One of the things I'm trying to say in the book is that mm. um, when we talk about God, by definition, God is being who defies comprehension, who, who transcends, you know, human understanding. Right. Augustine. And yep. that means, yeah, exactly. I had that quote from, mm -hmm. from uh, Augustine, right? That, uh, you know, if you understand it, it's not God. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, so let's, uh, let's approach it. Let's approach theology and our own personal theology from a place of humility and say, mm. you know, it's not about being right. Um, it's a, it's about, and again, and we can get into this in a second. I don't want to take it too far, uh, in this direction, <laughs> but I mean, one of the, like, let me just, so let me just finish that thought. So the, so basically then, yeah, the idea the good advice that I that I received and that I would share with others is, um, yeah, deconstruct your need to be right about everything. And mm. uh, then that allows you to listen to people who might disagree with you. And then you might learn something, you know, you might grow uh, in some important ways. And then you don't have to go through that pain of deconstruction that, that occurs when you discover, oops, I was wrong about that. That's right. Now, that that leads pretty well into the title then is Sola Mysterium, is that for most people mm -hmm. that are Protestant, they've got some background in Reformed theology, or at least the Reformation, we could say it that way. Yeah. And the idea that there's five solas that ground 
they're like the five pillars, right? Like sola scriptura, sola fide, sola gratia, um, sola deo. So there's a number of things, but the idea that maybe we need to deconstruct first the I, the need mm-hmm. to be certain, kind of, I could see that being like the levy that breaks, like the the damn doors open, kind of with that. And it's not, it's it feels terrifying because probably then you're on a um, white water raft of a <laughs> river, you know, you're like, I don't know what's certain now, but, you know, I, I had a, a conversation with a pastor a few years ago and we had a disagreement in front of a Bible study. And that's pretty common because I'm kind of high in uh, disagreeableness, according to, was that the mm-hmm. big five? But mm-hmm. I said, you know, faith is actually contrary to certainty. And this other pastor said, no, yes. that's not true. I said, no, because faith means trust and trust is different from certainty. And I said, if you ever have mm-hmm. certainty, then you don't have a need for trust. And I remember right. being on opposite sides of the room from this pastor and all the people in the room were like looking back, looking that way, looking back. But there, that's a real idol, that type of certainty, isn't it? Yes. Yo, absolutely. And and yeah, I mean, um, that's that's something else that I, the assertions I have in this book is, um, and I'm not the first to say that, but you know, but the opposite of, the opposite of faith isn't doubt. The opposite of faith is certainty. So, like you said, mm. if as long as I have certainty, I don't have any need for faith, right? Because I mean, mm. I don't have faith. I've got certainty. I know something. I I am convinced of something. And yeah, faith isn't isn't knowing it right and so again i i appeal to many other people much smarter than me you know in this book that i quote and uh and reference in this book who have said you know again everybody i mean here's what's funny even the apostle paul there's a great quote uh that he has and i use this in the book too where he says anyone who thinks that they know something um doesn't know here let me find it actually he says uh first <laughs> corinthians 8 uh, it says if anyone thinks he knows something he has not yet known as he ought to know um, so like starting with that, you know, and August, Augustine and others who have said, you know, um, and golly, Socrates, right? The, the beginning of wisdom is to it, you know, nothing. And so it isn't about having all the right information. This is a huge challenge though. Hmm. Like this pastor that you were having this argument with, I'm sure, um, would probably fall under the side of, and again, I was here too, uh, this idea, it's a very popular idea these days that. Um, it's as if Christianity has been redefined as having the right information about God. And Mm. therefore, for many of them, therefore, it is about having all the right answers and it is about certainty. Mm. And, um, and again, I was in that as well, you know, and because of that, so if you operate from that place, if, if that's your assumption that the gospel is all about having the right answers, the right information about God, as if there's going to be some kind of cosmic you know pop quiz after you die (laughs) and you're going to be you're going to have to answer these questions correct and pass the tests if you're going to get into heaven you know um by the way that's not true but i mean we act as if that's true we act as if no no you have to have the right information you can't be wrong about anything you have it all have to all correct so if you if that's the sort of um mindset if that's the paradigm you're operating from uh then that's the reason why people are so quick these days to, to label someone a heretic or a false teacher or whatever, mm-hmm. because 
you know, under that model and system, then the great, if, if it's all about having the right information, then the worst possible thing you could do is have the wrong information. But mm. the problem with that, of course, that the problem with that uh, position and posture, and again, I try to frame this in the book, is when you do that, when you say to somebody who disagrees with your theology, ultimately, that's all this is, this is all it's about. I have a certain set of theology. I have my own little list of things that I believe that are correct about God, the right answers. And then I encounter somebody else, right? The way this pastor encountered you, and you disagree with one or two of my little points of theology, then you're the false teacher, you're the heretic, you mm. know, um, you're the dangerous one. And but it's usually what, from the authority, the minutes, right? Yes, of course. Of course. The but, but even if not, but even if not, even if it's just a, a, someone in the pews, you know, they've been indoctrinated, they've been taught, told their whole life, these are the things that are right, uh, the correct information about God. They encounter someone that doesn't agree with one of those things. Then they say, oh, you're a heretic. Um, what they are doing, they don't under, they don't realize it, but what they're doing is what they're saying is, I am standard for all truth in the universe. Because um, I can't be wrong. I'm not wrong about something. Therefore, you're wrong. Um, again, just ignoring the fact that, you know, the minute you say to somebody else that they're a heretic because they disagree with you, you know, there's a guy down the street who would call you a heretic because you Absolutely. disagree with something he believes. Yeah. Right. It's just this arbitrary. It's this whole thing, like the, the George Carlin thing I talk about. George Carlin, the comedian, yeah. has this little thing about, hey, you noticed anyone driving slower than you on the freeway is a moron. And anyone driving faster <laughs> than you on the freeway is insane. Meaning, well, whatever I'm doing, that's normal, right? So whatever, it doesn't matter. I could be driving 10 miles over the speed limit. That doesn't matter. In my perspective, that's what normal people do because it's what I'm doing. Right. And then I judge other people. If they're, if they're slower than me, if they haven't caught up to me yet, they're morons. If they're ahead of me, they're more progressive than me. They're farther down the road than me. Oh, those people are insane. Um, and again, that works fine until one day your your perspective changes <laughs> until you're and then there suddenly all that shifts yeah right. then it all shifts again and like okay now this is normal <laughs> well it's I what was, i'm doing i was actually yeah. uh i had to write a paper on brian mclaren's book a new kind of christian i think in like oh, 2005 yeah. and i uh -huh. remember disagreeing with parts of it then Yes. And then I interviewed him like four weeks ago for his newer book, Do I Stay Christian? I'm like, oh, I like this guy. <laughs> so it's like, yes, you can have that type of change. But as as you're um, talking about being called a heretic, I'm thinking of, um, was it Sor is it Soren Kierkegaard? He talks about if you label me, you negate me. And I That's love exactly right. as soon as you title someone, you've boxed them in and you can either say you're on the same team or you're on opposite teams. And uh, yeah, man, but it, it feels as though the modern church, at least in America, North America, is going through some very. Oh, my goodness. It's like weeding, you know, I feel like there's a lot of weeding yeah. out that's happening. Um, I like the gardening mm. metaphor a little bit better than the mm -hmm. deconstructing one. Yeah. Sure. So who would yeah, you like say that. this book is meant for, though? Yes, this is like the next chapter in your own personal journey and growth. Yeah. But who do you yeah. hope are the type to read this? Yeah, good question. Well, 
I kind of feel like the book is really like, I'm not sure the book is really for someone who has maybe only just begun their deconstruction process. Okay. Um, because of the fact that again, I wrote it after, you know, I had dealt with what I call sort of this, the big six pillars of deconstruction that these big, big topics and process through them and thought through them and then reached a place where having, having gone through all that and figuring out where I landed on these different things, then I was at a place to say, well, now what, you know, mm. and then there's things I learned as I went through that. And, and just as an example, so when this, before the book came out, um, I put together a team, like it's called like a book promotions team. I had like 30 people who volunteered to read an advanced copy of the book. And, uh, and then the day it releases, they, you know, they go and they purchase it mm -hmm. on Amazon or whatever. And then they put, they do a rating and a review and they kind of, you know, help me, help me promote the book when it comes out. So I had, I had like 30 people in this group and one of the guys in the group, um, I, I know him and he, he had really, he's only just kind of started his deconstruction process and I'm not kidding. It was like in one day he must have messaged me like every hour I was getting a message from him. And he was like, I'm, he's like, my heart's beating faster. And then I'm sweating or, and I'm crying. I don't know why, if I, is it, is it joy or is it fear? And I'm like, dude, calm down. Uh, maybe, maybe you should put the book down. Maybe, maybe this is, you're not ready for this, you know? And he uh -huh. was fine eventually, but you know, I was like, but I was concerned, but I mean, he was having that kind of reaction. Like, yeah, I, and I was afraid, like, man, maybe this book is pushing him a little further than he's ready to go uh -huh. in some of these directions. So, so because of that, I guess, um, I would just say, yeah, maybe it's not for someone who's just starting to question some of these things. Uh, it might be more for either someone who has kind of gone through, they would say maybe most of their deconstruction process, they, at least, you know, they, they believe they've, they've gone through the bulk of it. Um, but as, as I said, there's, it's, it's actually had a really interesting appeal to people who are maybe post-Christian or even people oh. that are not Christian at all, which I, that has been really interesting to me. Um, yeah. because it, what's funny is like, it's not a, you know, the book isn't, I had somebody say to me, well, Keith, you know, you just wrote this whole series, this whole seven part Jesus son series about Jesus and all that. And then you write a book, you know, that sort of questions this whole thing. And I'm like, yeah, but my goodness, I, I went back through the book just to double check. And like every chapter is like, there is scripture references and Absolutely. I'm, I'm tying it all back to Jesus. Like, so I'm not, I'm not abandoning Jesus at all. No. Uh, so it's not that it's not that, but I think it's the um, there's just certain things that you would have to maybe have gone through and processed through before. I think you might be willing yeah. to reach this place that you're I, it boils down to this. Just really honestly being comfortable embracing mystery. Yeah. Uh, you alluded to this at the beginning, you, you know, where the more you start to question your belief systems, it's scary. You know, and I think the reason it's scary is that for a lot of us who are raised or grew up in the, in the, you know, evangelical Christian church, uh, you are taught to have your security and your safety and all these answers, right? All the right theologies. Mm. And then that's what new members classes essentially are. New members classes exactly right. are exactly telling you not just how to go about your beliefs, but exactly what this group believes. That's right. interesting. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, we're, we're taught to gain a level of security and safety 
from this illusion, and this is what I'm saying in the book, it's this idea of certainty is an illusion. I know it's comforting. I know it makes you feel safe. I know it makes you feel like, oh, you know, we got it all figured out. Everything's fine. But it's an illusion. And I think until you go through your deconstruction process a little farther, um, you're not going to realize all the ways that your safety and your security, your security and mm. your foundation, your, your the faith, the foundation of your faith has been resting on things that are illusions, the certainty that isn't real. And so until you've dealt with that and understood that, it's not that you don't have a foundation. It's just that you have a different foundation. Mm. And the foundation isn't certainty. Uh, it's it's again, I talk about this in the book. It's encouraging people to redefine what it means to know God. Because again, mm -hmm. in, in my experience, knowing God was information, having the right information. So if it's not about that, and I argue that it's not about that, mm -hmm. then then uh, how do we know God if it's not about having the right information about God? Right. Uh, so it's shifting away from knowing, well, in the Greek, episteme. Uh, Jesus doesn't use that word. Jesus uses the word gnosko, which is the Greek word for knowledge that's closer to the knowledge that a husband has with his wife on their wedding night. Mm -hmm. uh, that's not information. <laughs> 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 that level of knowing... That level of knowing another another person um, is about vulnerability and openness and connection, you know, at a, on an emotional and spiritual level, you know, that 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 sort of transcends, um, yeah, data. It's not about that. Right. Uh, what it's, Jesus it's, suggests is that it, it's this intense connection. Yeah. I, I'm thinking of it's a fancy word, but intersubjectivity. There's no subject object. Mm -hmm. It's two subjects that can affect yeah. each other right but i yes, exactly. yeah. and then that metaphor of, of, of the yeah go ahead I, I was just gonna say i made a comment to make later on that you quote heschel Debra, uh david bentley hart augustine aristotle einstein richard rohr but actually throughout most of this book you quote paul a lot and I think mm -hmm. part of that certainty issue that sometimes we bring to things is uh, this is my current theory is that our certainty leads us to avoid certain passages that disrupt that yes. certainty. And I found it really interesting. Yes. You were quoting a lot of the passages like in Ephesians or in other places in First uh, Corinthians even that talk about Christ is all and in all and in God is all and just the all things in Greek is tapanta. Yeah. And that's yes. actually been something that helps me or has helped me in the past yeah. to look at these passages yes. that we don't talk about very often, but you quote a lot in this book. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's, that is kind of, again, reflecting the journey I'm on right now, where I'm at right now. And you're right. You're absolutely right about the fact that, People are very selective about the kinds of things they quote from Paul. You know, we, mm. we tend to lean on the things that they think it's about Paul being, again, arguing for this level of certainty. And again, we ignore these passages, which, again, I, I try to highlight in the book, like you said, the beautiful passages in Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians and First Corinthians and, and mm. even in Romans, where Paul is appealing more towards this. I mean, it's it's a. 
it's a mind blowing uh, yeah. Christology of this uh-huh. idea that, you know, he says uh, in one place, he says, you know, that we, well, let me see. I think it's in Ephesians. He says something like how um, God was pleased to have the fullness of the Godhead dwell in, in him, in Christ, in bodily form. Right. And then in Colossians, I believe it says that we are, have been filled with the fullness of him. This is Christ who fills everything in every way. Mm-hmm. And that's some mind-blowing stuff. I never once in my whole <laughs> in yeah. my whole Southern Baptist uh, background ever once heard a sermon on that passage. And I don't even know that they would even attempt it. You know, how would you even begin to talk about this? Because right. to say, first of all, that Christ fills everything in every way is is one thing you can meditate on that for a long time and uh-huh. I think those are mind-blowing implications but then to say that we are filled with that fullness mm. we are filled with the fullness of christ and christ fills everything in every way so it does again approach this level of uh again a mind-blowing it's a non-duality right it's mm-hmm. this idea that we have this we have this connection with god I would, I would argue a connection with God through Christ that uh, that Jesus talks about too, right? He says, you know, in that day, you will know, he says in John, mm. uh, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me and I am in you, right? And I dare anybody to draw me a picture of that. What does that look like? Right. Right. It sort of, it, it's again, this mind-blowing thing that defies the third dimensional, you know, mm-hmm. ways of thinking. It's, it's, it is this transcendent idea that we have this phenomenal, unbelievable connection with God, uh, this oneness and connection with God that, again, I, I just have never heard anybody explore from a Christian perspective, but nevertheless, it's all through the Gospels. It's in Paul's writings. And um, and then, then I, again, the kind of spoiler alert, I talk <laughs> about how you find very similar kinds of statements in places outside of traditional Christianity, you know, when you find very similar statements in uh, some of the Gnostic Gospels and, and from people like Rumi and mm-hmm. um, that's where people start to get nervous <laughs> when I start yeah. to say, hey, this isn't only in Jesus, it's not only in Paul, it's, but it's it's also found in in some other uh, traditions and writings as well. Uh, and and as you or as you said, also in what quantum science and quantum yeah. physics is beginning to show us at the same time. Well, and that was, I don't want to say it was an unexpected turn, but for you to then have a chapter on quantum theology and how there's such a thing as quantum entanglement and there can be deep connection and relationship across huge spanses of space. Um, I feel like that's one of the things yeah. younger generations are despairing if you want to say it that way of how religion feels so disconnected from modern science and observations like that james webb telescope that just went up a few weeks ago um how do you incorporate these things together because they're they don't need to be antagonistic but i i do think it's okay well maybe that's part of that certainty issue if you're willing to give up the certainty then you might be able to see James Webb telescope and actually not have it threaten your whole framework. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because like, yeah, to me, the James Webb telescope thing is amazing and it doesn't threaten my theology at all. In fact, it's, I have to try hard to think how to relate to Christians for whom it does threaten their, their, yeah. their theology. Or I'm thinking, well, why would this bother you? Do you not, do you not know that the universe is this massive? Do you not realize <laughs> that, uh, you know, I mean, cause it, it is mind blowing. I mean, I, I don't get me wrong. Like I, I looked at that, that photograph, you know, the, the, the picture that's the farthest we've ever been able to look, uh-huh. you know, back with the, with the telescope and, and to recognize that like that picture is, is of galaxies and stars. Like when, at, th- at the time though, you know, those galaxies and stars were, were forming, like that's a photograph back in time. I mean, mm-hmm. we're looking backwards in time. That's that's first of all mind blowing, but the the um, the data on the calendar where that where that light emanated from that we're looking at in that picture um, is so old that our solar system didn't exist yet. Like Earth didn't exist yet. You know, that's incredible. Um, and unless you're someone, I guess, who's a literalist who is like, yeah, I know it just blows the mind. Uh, so unless you're a literalist and you think that the universe began when Earth was created. You know, like, okay, I guess then maybe, yeah, that will blow your mind. But um, I guess I look at like Richard Rohr had a wonderful quote. I just heard him recently say something about how, you know, if God, God, God has always been God. God is the God of the universe. God isn't just the God of a select group of people who lived in the Middle East, you know, 6,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know what I mean? Like we, we have to pull back our perspective and recognize that, um, God is bigger than maybe a, a very narrow band of some stories we've heard and been, been passed on to a certain tradition. Mm. Um, God has always been God and God it was God for, you know, for infinity mm-hmm. <laughs> before there was even a planet earth. And, um, and so, yeah, we, I, I don't know. I think it, for me, what that does is it expands my view of God. It, uh, again, it, it adds to the mystery of, of who, how great God is, how amazing God is. Um, and yeah, it doesn't threaten my theology at all. And I think if it does threaten your theology, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it should be stretched. Ooh. Yeah. You know, when <laughs> some of those pictures came out, the first thing that came to my mind, obviously there's pictures that say, this is the most clarity with which we've ever seen the cosmos. And my mind just goes towards passages like, uh, I guess a second is it first Timothy talks about for we know that mm-hmm. he is the atonement not only for our sins but for the sins of yes. the world but the Greek word is cosmos he is the atonement yes. for all of that and so you're like yes what's going on here all every single instance of the word world that's maybe David Bentley Hart's influence every time mm-hmm. I see the word world I now see the word cosmos but then I think God's right. even bigger than the cosmos. So these pictures actually just right. got even bigger. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Love, I mean, uh, those are beautiful moments, I think, when we can allow God to grow, kind of free of confinement. You know, I, I've had several beautiful moments like that in my own deconstruction process where I've just, I've been reading something and I've just had like that sort of moment, like you're describing, where I have to put the book down and say, mm. "Oh my gosh, God, you're more marvelous than I 
than I thought. You know, you're better than I thought. You're more, you're more wonderful than I could have imagined. And to me, that's part of that celebration of the mystery. Like, oh yeah, I I don't want to put God in the box, and I don't think we. And that's the mistake that we've made. I think we've we've tried to bind God in a book. We've tried to, you know, uh, con- confine God to uh, certain theologies and things like that. And I, and man. I, my God is way bigger than that. Yeah. <laughs> if God is God, he is, like I said, he's, he's God of the everything. He's God of the universe. And he was God before there was a universe. Right. And can I, I want to ask you a question. I hope you don't mind. This is a fun one for me to ask guests in some way. We all know that uh, scriptures are inspired, you could say with a capital I, but I've been toying with sure. the idea. And actually you've gotten a few blog posts already about this. What do you think could be some really wonderful lowercase I inspired books that would be really helpful for any Christian to read? Something like an mm. appendix onto the Bible. I believe you already had some posts about this. Oh yeah, I, I have I have posted about this a couple of times. Um, well, it's a great question. I mean, I I think I'm pretty clear in in, in Solo Mysterium about this too. That in many ways. Um, I mean, yes, I, I would affirm that the writings that we have in, in what we call our our, our Bibles are, are quote unquote inspired. But my approach to inspiration, I think, is a little different than than the, at least to the way I used to approach it, and mm. maybe the di- different than the way some others approach it. Um, like to me, yes, those writings are inspired, but many many things are inspired. You know, mm-hmm. um, like I I don't think that uh, the canon is the only thing that God wants to say or is saying or has been saying throughout history. You know, it's like, to me, in many ways, I think that to, to create a canon, to canonize scripture the way we did might have been a mistake because I think we sent the message that God, whatever God wanted to say to humanity, he said it 2,000 years ago, and he's not speaking anymore. Right. Because I think I personally... Uh, I feel like that speaks to me through nature, through music, mm-hmm. through film, through a good friend across the table at Starbucks, uh, through children. I mean, through, uh, in other words, like God is able to, because God is the creator, God is, uh, God is always able to, God is never, has never been restricted from being able to speak and communicate to his creation through a variety of means. And, mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it's presumptuous for us to say this and only this is what God wants to say or can say, you know, sorry, God, you know, we got it. Right. <laughs> um, so, so it's a, it's a, yeah. So because of that, yeah, I, I mean, there have been so many things, um, like, I guess some, some things like I, I really appreciate Richard Rohr. Uh, I love the universal Christ. I love his book, the naked now. That was a really beautiful book. Yeah. That's a good one. Um, yeah. Um, but I'm, I have also appreciated, I mean, I've been reading some quantum science books that I think are pretty amazing too. Um, and I've been oh. reading some poetry and I've been reading, you know, yeah. uh, and again, I, I love watching movies and, uh, and again, not that when I say though, like some things are inspired or I, I, I kind of hear the voice of God speaking to me through these different ways and mediums. I don't mean, you know, that, uh, thus saith the Lord and I'm going to like, you know, stick right. it in the back of the Bible or something like that. Um, uh, because, you know what I mean? It's like there's sort of things like in the moment, 
as I'm living my life, um, I'm, I feel like I'm in a conversation with God and, um, okay. And so, because it is this connection with God, you know what I mean? And so at any given moment, I have a question about something. I'm struggling with something. I don't know what to do about something or whatever. And the more I'm open to listening and being in, in this open dialogue with the spirit of God, you know, those answers and those, you know, those, those conversations can take many forms. And so, uh, again, it's, it's the creator of the universe speaking to me through however God wants to, right? Um, and all that matters is that within myself, I discern, ah, that was it. You know what I mean? That oh. connects. And so I talk about this in the book. I uh-huh. talk about this in the book. Um, this, uh, it's a different approach to that verse, right? What is it? Um, in Timothy, was it First Timothy, right? Three sixteen. Um, all Scripture is God breathed mm. uh, and useful for instruction and training in righteousness. What I point out in the book is that if you go to the Greek, the word Scripture isn't there. It's graphis, which is a common word for writings. So really, the way I think the better way to understand that passage is, is to, this is how I read it: is what's being said there is all of the God breathed writings are useful for training and instruction and righteousness. Uh, And I think it begs the question then, what are the God-breathed writings? And I would say, well, any writings that are useful. (laughs) That that, that in the moment you say, wow, that was useful for training and instruction and righteousness. You Uh, know what I mean? That helped me. Yeah. Uh, And so it's anything that in that moment is, okay, wow, that clicked. That made sense to me. Okay, uh, now I get it. I understand something. And in that moment, that for you is this God breathed writing. So oh, that's uh, I know that's wonderful. a little out there for a lot of people, but <laughs> but that's the way I kind of approach it. I mean, in my previous career of doing youth ministry, the words healthy and holy started to have a lot of overlap, so much so that now they just mean mm-hmm. the same thing almost to me. That as you yeah. grow in health, of course, you're going to be holier. Of course, as you grow in holiness, you're going to be a healthier person for people to be around. But the idea that... Yeah. If you're reading a book on how to meditatively get through your personal grief of losing a parent, that's actually a holy yeah. Going to counseling can be a holy Getting on a healthy diet can be a holy thing. But um, yes, I love the idea of just maximizing not only what is the possibility of God speaking to you, but I really like the idea that you have to make sure that you're receptive to it. It's almost like a radio station. Yes. You have to make sure that you're on the right radio station, you know? Yes, you're, t- you're tuned into that frequency. That's right. Yeah. I, I, yeah I maybe you know it better than I do. Um, I think Maximus the Confessor, I think he talks about there's the Logos, who is Christ, the Word, but then everything else is a Logoi, which would be like a, another word from God. And so there's the Word, mm-hmm. and then there's words. And so it's interesting <laughs> that everything else is just an echo of what God has already said in the preeminent Logos. But yes. I, I'm not a Maximus scholar, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I'm not either. I'm not either. I like that, though. And, but I think that's in line with so much of what we see in the New Testament as well. There's this beautiful pattern that that's in, uh, especially in Paul's writings, where he will say, he'll say something that's true of Christ. And then he'll say, but because it's true of Christ, now it's true of us, right? Yes. So, you know, um, Christ has been crucified and we are crucified with him. Christ has been raised from the dead and we are raised with Christ. 
Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, and you and I are seated at the right hand. Not that we will be. We are. So because it is true, because it is already true of Christ, it is now also true of us. And I think that's in line with what mm -hmm. the, the, the Maximus, the confessor quote is that, yes, there is this incarnation of Christ that is this ultimate thing. But, you know, um, but, but if I abide in Christ and Christ abides in me, if I am the body of Christ, you know, there's also that, that uh, famous quote, uh, you know, God has no body now but yours christ has no body now but yours uh -huh. and um so we are we are these extensions of christ in the world so that we can say we are the incarnation of christ in the world today you know christ is still in the world but christ is in the world today through us through right. the body of christ we are the body of body yeah and so christ hasn't abandoned the world he hasn't left the world christ's presence hasn't uh you know uh, escaped the world it continues uh, in the world. And in fact, it's, there's more, I, I say this all the time. There is more of Christ in the world today than there was 2000 years ago, because Christ isn't, uh, only in the sky, Jesus, but it's now, oh. now because it's true of Christ, it's true of all of us, right? Right. Christ now is in so many millions and millions of people. So that's a beautiful thing. And I think that's a paradigm shift. A lot of us, that's beautiful. Uh, would help a lot of us. Yeah. Well, and that it kind of goes back to even the title of the religion. We're not, Jesusians were Christians. You know? <laughs> yes. It's like the emphasis is supposed to be on this Christ that transcends time and space and everyone, everything. Anyways. Yes. So we have 15 more minutes. I have some notes about your final chapters. I, we haven't had time okay. to go through everything else I wrote down, but um, uh, I would love to ask you just about the last few chapters. So one sure. of them is an emphasis on childlike faith and wonder. And I uh, recently yeah. got some texts from a friend that was asking me, what is childlikeness? What is childlike wonder? And um, I was trying to synthesize it and thinking about it for myself in two sentences. But do you think you could do it? You have a whole chapter, but do you think you can do it in two <laughs> sentences? What childlike is Childlike wonder. wonder well, you know what I I, um, I think there's definitely a key there, right? And as, as I'm trying to write this book about celebrating the beautiful uncertainty of everything, and you know, Jesus has this amazing quote about how he says, "Unless you change and become like little children, you will never see the kingdom." And for me, that's all about what you're asking. This childlike wonder, you know, that if, cause I have kids, I, I mean, my kids are grown now, but when they were little, uh, anyone that has children, you know, or if you, I, I would say if you've ever had children or if you ever were a child at one point in your life, it covers everybody, uh -huh. then you know that children are, they have this relentless curiosity, right? But why, but why, but what is this? And what is this? And, you know, and, and then you answer the question, but why? And you answer the question, but why? And so, there's this relentless curiosity uh, and wonder. Again, that's why I think this book, I was so excited to write this book because I, I feel like it's we're being called and we're in, being invited back to that sense of this childlike wonder, which is recognizing again, that's why it's so important for us to realize that it's, we, it isn't about our answers. It's not about having the right information. I would just say like, chuck that forget that um and 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 return to a place of like admitting that it's not 
that you don't know, right? That 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 it, this is a we have this connection with God that is higher and wider and longer and deeper than we could ever possibly understand. You know, Paul says it transcends knowledge. It transcends knowing. Um, and again, it's not as if we can't know. It's that we shift from knowing from a way of like having information, but to knowing in the sense of experiencing. So, um, you know, I say in the book, we become people who are less capable of defining and explaining uh, this God that we are uh, in connection with. But we are absolutely we, we, we absolutely become people who are people who are more than capable of experiencing mm. this connection with God. And so. I believe we can do those things. It, it'll keep us in this place of that childlike wonder of constantly ha being, having this curiosity and wonder, um, being in a place where we ask questions. You know, I, I talk about in the book too, the fact that Jesus, you know, I, I love that he, he never answered almost any question, maybe mm -hmm. two or three questions. Most of the time he answered those with another question right. or he asked questions that he didn't even bother to answer or wait, for, <laughs> wait around for the person to figure out the answer. Right. Or he told, or he, his primary way of teaching was to just tell stories, which again, he only explained maybe one or two of them. Right. Um, what and, a rabbi. And you know, it's, yeah, I mean, that's again, you know, it's, that's a horrible method for uh, if you're, if your goal is to, communicate exact and specific information <laughs> but it's a it's a wonderful method of teaching if your goal is to inspire curiosity and wonder right i'm yeah. going to tell you a story i'm not going to explain it what does that do to you it makes like whoa what does that mean i want to understand that right you lean in right it engages that curiosity you know that you have so for me i think that's what it's about i think it's returning to that place of of curiosity and this relentless curiosity that that children have and wonder, um, mm. I think that's more of what it's all about. I think that's what Jesus is inviting us into. Wow. And as you were as you were talking, I remembered a quote from Paul Schrader, you know the writer and director. Um, I love the movie. Oh, I love him. Oh, First Reformed. And that was a bit ago. And yes. In the book, I'm sorry. In the movie. There, you can see he's reading Thomas Merton and the Cloud of Unknowing. I'm like, yes. Um, but yes. Paul Schrader says that a good movie begins at the ending. Me, and then he explains uh -huh. it, meaning a good movie, when it ends, it makes you have to talk about it more. And it seems like that's, that's right. Jesus' teachings, like his, the, his Socratic method, his teaching of parables – it's like yeah. the teaching begins when he stops talking and you're left to having yes. to process it with the people you're with. Uh -huh. so Paul Schrader up there. Totally. I'm a huge, huge film buff. And yeah, I love Paul Schrader. And uh, I love that. In fact, it's funny, the, the, this whole idea of mystery too. I, I came across some really great quote, quotes from like Stephen King said that too, about mm. how uh, like he on purpose when he writes, when he sits down to write a novel, he has a basic idea for the, for the, for the novel, mm. but he says like, um, never do an outline to your story, to your fictional story. He goes, because then you know the ending. And he goes, and I, he goes, when I write a story, I never know the ending. Yeah. You know, I find it, I discover it along with the reader. And that's really cool. You know? And I think that's the same kind of idea of like, um, just like, uh, you know, pursuing that question and those, and the, the wonder and all that. I think that's great. Uh, so your last two chapters then 
are they're actually my favorite if i could say so the title of the second to last i think it's the second to last be your own guru uh first off i don't know many westerners that are even like understanding what the term guru means in its original context so the idea of your own guru um but i like in there you kind of make mention that you don't ever want to hold up high a teacher or pastor or guru yeah inordinately or too much but yeah to someone looking at the table of contents what would you say that chapter is really about yeah well it is something that i i mean i i tell i tell a story at the beginning which you've already kind of uh yeah. Reference, you know, that uh, my own personal experience of this appointment early on, which I'm grateful for, because early on, mm-hmm. that was like God said, like, oh, "We're going to blow that up early." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't yeah. do that. Don't 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 put a man on a pedestal like that. And then, but then because of that too, like I personally resist that. Like I never want anybody mm. uh, to like, oh, I believe this because Keith believes this. Like, oh no, you don't. Don't do that. Like mm. you should believe it because you believe it. Like I mean. So yeah, of course we all learn and benefit and grow from listening to other people and you know reading books or listening to lectures or whatever. Of course we we that's one of the ways we learn. We have to listen to other people. But to yeah, the the thing that I've seen that's dangerous, right, in in Christianity is this thing about we attack, we allow, we sort of give away our agency, mm. our autonomy, like. Um, where we let, you know, well, where we, where we, uh, doubt our own ability to sort of hear God's voice. And so, yep. mm. um, and often we're discouraged from that. And so we're, what we're told is, well, just trust pastor Bob. He'll listen to God for you and tell you what God, and I'm like, no way. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, if, if my choices are to listen to, to the good shepherd myself, who tells me he can speak to me and I can hear his voice or just say, sorry, Jesus, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to let this other person listen for me. And I'm going to, I'm going to, no, 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 don't do that. That to me is, that's the more dangerous thing. So um, I think learning, I think maturity would be for us to learn how to connect with God directly ourselves to not, um, not allow other people to think for us um, or to, 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 to uh, tell us what God is saying or what God wants. I think we, we need to figure that out for ourselves because I mean, and I don't mean this in a, I don't mean this at all in sort of a, in a way like a threat. Cause I don't, that's not at all the way I mean it, but it's sort of like the reality is one day we are all going to die, right? You will, yeah. your soul will leave your body and you will float up into whatever the presence of God. And then in that moment, you can't bring a book with you. You can't bring a DVD series with you. You don't have your Wi-Fi connection. And so it's just you and God. And in that moment, that had better not be the first time you have ever had that connection with God. Wow. Like, I, I just want to encourage people, like, yeah, go ahead and get that started now. That, and to me, that is that is one of the most radical things that Jesus is is saying, you know, like in the Sermon on the Mount. The kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is here now. It's not over there. It's not over here. It's not coming soon. It's it's here in this moment. This can, The kingdom of God is this ability that all of us have to be in the presence of the living God in this very moment. Mm. And so it's not something we're waiting for. It's something we we are invited into right now. 
and because of that, yeah, don't, um, don't, don't try to experience that by proxy. Don't let somebody else do it for yeah. you. Uh, that, that to me is a huge mistake. So that's what I mean. Like, don't be your own guru, learn how to, uh, make up your own mind about things because you've thought it through because you believe it. And, um, yeah, don't, don't trade that off to, to another person. Not even me, please. Especially not me. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, that was a brilliant answer. I, have you um, ever heard of a band called me without you? Oh yeah. Yeah. My youngest son, David is a huge fan of that band. Loves that band. Uh, so I'm going to see their final show ever here in Philly on August 20th. Oh, wow. And I had the opportunity to, to first see them in my college dorm because they were playing in the lobby of my dorm in college in 2003. So I've been with them oh for the gosh. long run. Um, and they're yeah. probably the band I've seen the most often, but they have a song called uh, King Beetle on Coconut Estate, which is about a King Beetle who there's a, a yard fire where the, the estate owners are burning some banana leaves. And the King Beetle sends his beetles one after a time to go f investigate the fire for him. Until he gets frustrated mm -hmm. and he says, I'm going to go myself. And he flies right into the fire and is consumed by the flames. And then the song ends by saying, why not be utterly changed into fire? And it's probably oh, wow. like the best parabolic, meaning parable, parabolic song yeah. I've ever heard about infinite union with God, personally, mysticism that leaves you transformed. Uh, you yeah. got to check that song out, man. It's so good. Oh, I will. Now I have. <laughs> yeah, you have to. And then ask your son what he thinks. Um, so, all right, let's close this up. Sola Mysterium. It's the next chapter in your own journey that will obviously help other people along the way. And I, I was amazed that you quoted so many high profile people. I mean, Abraham Joshua Heschel, is outside the Christian tradition, mm. but so is Aristotle, yeah. Einstein, Plato. Um, all these figures mm. are just profound. I'm curious though, do you have an inkling, if you're going to write another book, were there questions that this book left you with that you thought, I need to save that question for the next one? Or maybe you want to keep that a secret, uh, right? The no, no, no. I, I'll answer your question. Uh, the answer is yes. And the funny thing is, when I initially finished the book, I would have said no. Oh. But have, now, I mean, I know it's only been out. It's only been out a month. <laughs> but I mean, I finished writing it probably, you know, four or five months ago. So it's been a while since I finished writing it. And um, But, you know, it's since then, as I continue to think about things and investigate things. Yeah, I've, I've and I actually had I thought I would never write another series. I mean, I'm really glad I wrote that mm -hmm. seven part Jesus Hunt mm -hmm. series. I'm really proud of it. Mm -hmm. um, but my first thought after I finished that series was I am never doing another series again because that was just <laughs> brutal. Um, so I wrote Solo Mysterium and I thought, yes, my first standalone book. It's all by itself. It's not in a series. And here it is. This is great. But then just like literally maybe about a, two, two weeks ago, I was thinking, you know what? I, I think I can write a trilogy. I think I can write two more in the Solo series. Um, hopefully just two more. Okay. But uh, yeah, so uh, so I am I'm really just in the in the beginning phase of researching that at the moment, and um, so yeah, uh, I'll just let people know. Yes, there will be another book in the in the solo series. 
uh, hopefully soon, maybe in a year or so. Oh. Uh, I'm, I'm in the process of researching that and writing that at the moment. That's lovely. Uh, how would you suggest people get a hold of this book? It's great. I liked it a lot. Oh, John, thank you so much. Yeah, well, it's on uh, Kindle and in print on Amazon. It's uh, also available on barnesandnoble.com. Uh, I, I, I believe this is weird, but my my publisher, um, thanks to my publisher, Choir, uh, it's also available on walmart.com and target.com. So if you're buying really? detergent or floss or toothpaste, <laughs> or whatever you're buying online, Walmart, Target, pop one in your, in your cart and they'll deliver <laughs> it to you. Um, <laughs> and it'll hopefully in about a month or so, it'll also be available on audible, uh, as an auto audio book as well. Um, so yeah, that's where you can find it. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to connect with people on social media. I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Uh, my blog is keithjaws.com over on, uh, over on Patheos. And, um, I started a few months ago, a solo podcast called second cup with Keith. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's been a lot of fun doing that. So, you know, People can find me over there too and check it out. And I do another little podcast called Heretic Happy Hour with a couple other people, which I will always say is not for everybody. Um, my <laughs> mom doesn't like it. Some other people don't like it. It's okay. If it's not for you, that's fine. Sync up with Keith is probably more your speed. Um, but yeah, you know, there's different places to connect. I'm always happy to, to interact with people over there. Thank you, Keith. This is honestly, this is the highlight of my week. So I appreciate your time. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much, John. Appreciate it.